Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Um, the, the title of my message this morning is called The Sacrifice of Freedom. And, um, you know, it's Fourth of July weekend. Tomorrow we celebrate uh, independence of our, our country and, and the freedoms that we have. And um, it, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've, as I prepared this week and, and thought about the, the, mat, the, the subject of the text there in Romans, what struck me is how um, we make assumptions based on um, our present culture, um, our present situation. You know, but what I, I started thinking about is freedom. I wonder if the freedom that the original colonists, colonists thought they had was the same way that the, rev, the revolutionaries thought about freedom. Or the revolutionaries, the way they thought about freedom, I wonder if it was the same way that those who uh, lived during the time of the war between the states thought about freedom. Or, or let's just take the last 100 years. Did people in the 20s think about freedom the same way people in the 40s thought about freedom? Or people in the 40s think about freedom the same way people in the, y'all remember those days, the 60s, thought about freedom? I don't remember them. I, I was born then, but that's, that's, that's a unique time in our history. Or the way people in the 60s think about freedom the, compared to the way we think about freedom today. Because it's, it's interesting that the time that you live in, the issues that you face, the challenges that a culture has, it, it impacts the way you look at the ideas and the priorities and all of these things. And, um, you know, I mean, think about it this way. Today, we live in a time where in our culture, we do not agree on what freedom is. Over the last month, we've had news and listen, pro-life and pro-choice people do not think about freedom the same way, do they? Do they? No. But even in that, in that, in that thinking, you know, I, I was thinking a few years ago, I, I got the privilege to go to Belarus. Uh, Belarus is the country just north of Ukraine. It's all in the news today because of, of Russia's endeavor and the war against the Ukrainians and but I went to Belarus and worked with churches and Christians there and uh, uh, got to travel to different parts of Belarus. And it's interesting, the eastern part of Belarus is very much like Russia, where the western part is very much like Europe. And, and the different, there's a difference in that country. But as I, as I was there for a week at a time, for a couple of times, one of the things that struck me is since the Iron Curtain fell, since the fall of communism in the east, the Belarusians believe that they are free. They believe they are free. Uh, they, they, I mean, they are so excited and they have this freedom and there's still some oppression by their government and their president is, the, is now the longest running European dictator. But they get to meet in church. They get to, you know, have all of these things. They get to do this. But as I watched them and as I thought about them and as I thought about what we were enduring and going through there, because you think, well, wait a minute, they're free, so you weren't enduring anything. You know, it's different. We were riding in the car, and, uh, and uh, Pasha, the pastor, it means little Paul, Pavel, he, we're riding, and I'm talking about something spiritual. I'm talking about something in the culture. And he goes, shh. And I said, what? And we had our phones there, and he says, listen, they're probably listening. And I said, what do you mean? He says, the KGB. They still call them that there. 
He says, they're probably listening. They looked at their, their present day and they rejoiced in their freedom. I looked at it and said, oh my, that's not freedom. That's not freedom. Their church had to get government permission to buy a property. And even after they got permission to buy the property, guess what? They couldn't meet there. Because then they had to get permission from the government to meet in the property. And so they met there illegally. It's very interesting. And that was even on the more freer side of the country. The way they looked at freedom and the way I looked at it, guess what? Two different things. We didn't look at it the same way. Uh, before COVID, I was in a, an East Asian country that we all know. And I traveled with a pastor of an underground church. And I asked him, I said, uh, have, you, have you ever had any trouble with the authorities? And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, have you ever been arrested? He goes, oh, yeah, a couple times. And I said, what? He says, yeah, I've been arrested twice. He said, uh, once at Easter, we were going to do a public Easter egg hunt, and we were going to share the gospel. And so they arrested all of us. And I said, he's just talking about it nonchalantly. And I'm like, well, what happened? He said, they held me for 24 hours. I said, what did you do? He said, I told him the truth. <laughs> I said, you did? He said, yeah, I just told him what we were doing and, and all of that. And, and I said, what did they do? He said, after 24 hours, they told me not to do it again and let me go. And I thought, what in the world? Now, they don't have any freedom, but he lives like a free man. I said, what, so what did you do? He said, I went back to doing what I've always done. And I was like, Wow. Paul brings us to a place in the book of Romans where he talks about the life we're to live. And, and actually, it's the first verse where in most letters that are written by the authors in, in the New Testament, in the letter, the first thing they do is they lay out the biblical foundation, the theological foundation. And, and what they do is they tell you why everything that they're getting ready to tell you is relevant. What they do is they talk about God. They talk about what God's done. They talk about who we are and what our need was and what God, how God met that need. And then they go to a very practical place where they talk about this is how you're to live. And this is what Paul does in Romans. In, in Romans, he, he, he begins by talking about righteousness that is revealed, that, that righteousness is revealed. And the first thing that's revealed is the need that we have a need for righteousness because we live in a broken, unrighteous world. And he talks about how God did that. In, in verses 3 through 6, he talks about the fact that God, through Christ, made it like, as if we had never sinned. When we come to faith in Christ, we are justified. And I love the simple definition of justified. We are made just as if we'd never sinned. It's a technical reality. It's a legal reality. And it is nothing we do but trust him. And he changes that. And so when God sees us, he sees us through the blood of Christ. And we are seen as righteousness. But the next thing he talks about is in verses in chapter 6 through 8. He talks about the fact that now that you are justified, you and I are to live lives that are being changed continually. And the biblical word that they use is the word sanctified, which actually is a, is a word... Uh, that means holy. We are becoming holy. We are being changed, and we no longer live like this world, but we live like heaven. And then beginning in verse 9 of Romans, he goes through talking about how God has already endeavored to make this reality true through the nation of Israel. How he chose them, and how they rejected him, and rejected his word, and rejected his way of life, and how yet he is still promising to restore them. And that's where you come to in chapter 11. 
And that brings us to chapter 12. When we get to chapter 12, it's like chapter 12, verse 1, is the hinge that, is, that everything turns on. What he says is now, now that you know all of this is true, now that we understand all of this truth, now how do we live? And so look with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm just going to cover one verse today. If I covered more, we would be here longer. I preached Genesis one time. It took me four years. So we're, we're just going to cover one verse today, and, and I'll, I'll get you out in time, I think. Okay, so he says, therefore, therefore, therefore. Now, you always have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And it is there for everything that's already come before. Because of everything he's already said, in Romans 1 through 11, now look at verse chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your, spirit, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, I'm still stuck in the past. Uh, I think Pastor Michael uses New American Standard 2020. I'm still using the 95 version. Forgive me, but I'm, I'm an old timer. But anyway... Um, it, Paul had never been to Rome. Paul had never been to Rome. At this point, the, Romans was written about, about mid-50s, uh, 50 A.D. And, and, and so Paul is, is on his third missionary journey, and he's thinking about Rome, he's hearing about Rome, and so he's writing to the Christians in Rome. And, and, and so he's writing to the Christians in Rome. He's never met these brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, but he calls them brethren. He says, I urge you, brethren. He says, you are our brother. You are one of us. You have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, which, by the way, is where it begins, right? Jesus came. He lived. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead to conquer death so that he can give us life. That's who Paul's writing to, the people who've experienced that hope in Jesus Christ. But he reminds them, I want you to think about this. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Without the mercies of God, where would we be? Where would we be without the mercies of God? Hmm. We'd be living out the horror of emptiness and hopelessness. We would be destroying one another day after day after day. And we would be destroying ourselves because sin is a self-destructive endeavor. That's where we would be. But he says now, because of the mercy of God, because you have experienced the mercy and grace of God, I've got something I need to encourage you to do. I need you to understand because of everything we've talked about, because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because... Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are all things he said already in Romans. Because of that mercy, I've got to give you some instruction. I want you to think and know how to live. And this is the very first thing I'm going to say to you based on that mercy. And so he comes to this verse. He says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, that's what we're going to spend our time on, that one phrase. The first thing he says is, I want you to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies. You see, as a believer, you have to put yourself out there. You have to put yourself out there, and, and, and everybody's thinking, okay, so you're going to talk about going out in the community and doing good works. You're going to talk about going out and sharing the gospel. Yeah, we'll get there. But, but the first place you put yourself is the place where you found hope. It, when you put yourself out there, the first place you go is back to the source. 
If you want to, you can flip a few pages back in Romans, to Romans chapter 6. There are three verses in Romans chapter 6, and they give us a template for how we submit ourselves to God, for why we submit ourselves to God. In verse 13, he says it this way, and do not go on presenting your members, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. See, that's what we used to do. In, outside of Christ, we presented the members of our body to sin. We, we sought a sinful way of life, and we, and we, and we indulged in anything we could. We, we sought it out. But he says, listen, um, but now present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see, a changed world doesn't begin with some strategy. A changed world doesn't begin with checking off some duty list. A changed world happens when a changed person enters a, change, enters a world that needs change. Does that make sense? And so the first thing we do is we present ourselves to God. You put yourself before God and you say, God, this life is to be lived for your purpose. These members, they are for, to be instruments for you. Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't know how to do that. Do you? I mean, you say, well, listen, as a sinner, I'm an expert at presenting my members for sin. Would you, would you say that? Yeah, you ever thought you were an expert at anything? But you and I are experts at sin. I mean, you, you, you ask me what my favorite dessert is, it doesn't take me two seconds, chocolate pie. I don't have to think about it, I don't have to study on it. Man, I tell you, I know the answer because I'm an expert. You can tell, right? We're experts, but we are not experts at being instruments of righteousness. And so the first thing he says is you, you, have, to change, you have to change your focus. Look at the next one in verse six, uh, 16. He says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? See, we're in Romans 6, verse 23. What's it say? The wages of sin is death. And so we, when we sow to sin, death is the outcome. It, it's always going to be the outcome. But we can't be obedient to sin anymore. The only way that you're going to change, the, that you're going to change, and this world is going to change, is when we submit ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness, and then we submit ourselves as slaves to righteousness to become obedient to Him. Isn't that good? That's how it changes. We become obedient to him. Now, verse 19 is the last time he says it. In verse 19, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. There's this process that God brings us to. This process... That God brings us to, that when we, when we submit ourselves to him, when we, when, we, when we present ourselves to him, we say, here I am, I don't know how to do this, Lord. I, I don't know how to do this. But I know you do, you know everything. I know you do in your word, so I'm going to study your word and I'm going to become obedient to the truth. And, and, and when I become obedient to the truth, you're going to bring me into a process where I'm going to be changed. And I don't know how that happens. 
I, I don't know. All I know is that he does it. That's, that's called faith, right? We put our faith in him. So the beginning of this change that Paul is talking about, the beginning of this living and holy sacrifice, is that we present our bodies to him. We present ourselves to him, and we say, Lord, this broken, feeble failure of a person is yours. You can do with it whatever you want to do, because I'm no longer part of the equation. I'm no longer the one making the decisions. I'm no longer the one deciding what's right. I am no because I have a great track record of being wrong. And if you don't think you do, ask your spouse. And if they're too timid to tell you, ask your children. And if your older ones won't tell you, your younger ones will real easily. They're not, they're not hard about it. You don't have to go very far to find that out. But our goal is, is first we submit to him. And in reality, when we submit to him, the, the thing about it is we don't have to wander in the dark. A lot of people say, well, if I just knew, if I just had, uh, if I just had an idea. My friend, he gave us an example. He, he gave us an example. When we put ourselves out there, we're not just thinking, well, I hope I get there. Or No, no, no. We have a perfect example. What's his name? Well, that was timid. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. He's our perfect example. In fact, hey, have you ever thought about this? When Jesus came, he was a living and holy sacrifice. Amen? He was a living and holy sacrifice. He is the perfect example of what Paul is talking about. Now, he didn't have to, he didn't have to overcome sin to be that example because he never sinned. But he had to keep from sinning. That, that was the end of He had to keep from sinning. You say, well, wait a minute. He was God. He wasn't going to sin. Uh, my friend, I think people think God poses. He, he pretends. You know, Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's been hungry 40 days and 40 nights, and the enemy comes and says, turn these stones into bread. Well, he's God. He doesn't need bread, right? Jesus wasn't pretending. How, how, many, how long have you gone without food? How long can you make it before you have to eat? Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights. He was a human being. This is a, rest, this is a, this is a tension that I think we have as Christians. Is we think, well, Jesus was God, so nothing was impossible for him. So, but my friend, that, it, if he was pretending, that's a lie. He's not a liar. He was a human being just like you and me. There was only one difference between Jesus and you and me. Do you know what that difference is? He didn't sin. He didn't sin. And the temptations were the evidence that he turned away from sin. And how did he combat the temptations? With the Word of God. With the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, so, so how do you explain it? Well, I mean, everybody's got their ideas. I think he was human 100%. He wasn't omnipresent, omnipresent on the planet, was he? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Are you omnipresent? I mean, right now, are you at home as well? <laughs> That's silly. Jesus wasn't omnipresent on the planet. He, he was a human being just like you and me. I think it's kind of like my credit card in my wallet. I got a credit card. Now, I won't carry it for a couple weeks just in case somebody here is not very honest. But this credit card has a balance that's about a little over $30,000. I could buy a car with this credit card, couldn't I? If they would let me. That would be stupid. 
kids, I don't know, if, Michael did that last week, I'm sorry. Uh, that would be dumb. But I could use this credit card or anything. I think what he did is just what Philippians says. He did not think equality with God is something to grasp. But he humbled himself. And he, he, he became a servant. He became a slave. He, he, he did not, it wasn't that he stopped being divine, it was that he did not ever express his divinity. He lived by faith in his life. In fact, if you'll read through the Gospels, you know what it says? I only do what the Father, tell, I only do the Father's will. And then he says, I only do what I've seen the Father do. What the Father has taught me, that's what I do. I only keep his word. That's what Jesus said. Isn't that something? That's what he says we should do. Jesus was a human being who lived on this planet in 100% faith in, the, in what the Holy Spirit would do in his life, in the will of his Father. And the, and the reality of it, he did not have the sin. That was the only thing that was doing. He did not have the sinful nature that you and I have to overcome. And so he lived this life just like you and I should. He's the perfect example. He got hungry. He got tired. He was broken. He wept. He, of course, was frustrated. He experienced everything that we do without sinning. And as a sinless human being, he came as a servant. He came to lay down his life for his friends. He came to be effective in this world for the Father's will. In Romans 8, verse 34, it says, who, who, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who intercedes for us. In fact, nothing has changed for him. He came for us, and he's still interceding for us at the right hand of God. His heart is still for you and me. His heart is still for a broken world. His heart is still that the will of his Father would be fulfilled in this world. That, that God would be able to work. And, and, and he is the perfect example of how you live as a sacrifice, a holy sacrifice in this world. And so our endeavor to learn and to experience that change starts with, with presenting ourselves to God and continues with seeking our perfect example of what he wants us to be, of how we can change and how we can become new. But you know what the challenging thing is? You know, if Americans in different decades and centuries thought differently about freedom. And if Americans think about freedom in different ways than Belarusians do or East Asians do, how different do we think about the kingdom from the king of the kingdom? Because I've been in church all my life. I was raised in church. I mean, I went to vacation Bible school that we had last week. I went to camp like the kids are going to this next week. I've, I've been to all of it. I've, I've been taught the Bible all my life. But one thing I realize is I don't think like the king of the kingdom. That's not my go-to position. I'm an expert on thinking like a fallen and broken world. How about you? Yeah. That, that's my first thought. You see, my first thought is thinking like a fallen and broken world because I'm an expert at that. 
But my goal is to think like the kingdom. The problem is, is sometimes I don't realize the nature of my sin. In the same way that Jesus didn't pose or pretend on the planet, he lived out of 100%, he lived out of human life. He also did not, God did not give us an arbitrary, an arbitrary list of right and wrongs. Sometimes we, get, we stumble because we don't understand the, the nature of right and wrong. I, I, most people think, well, God gave us the law, so uh, we're not supposed to break God's law. And so what he gave us was, you know, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this. And so we've got to keep those commandments. While that in, on face value is true, they're not arbitrary. Sin is not an arbitrary wrong. Now, the speed limit is arbitrary, right? Some people say no, but I grew up when you had to drive 55. Remember when they changed that in the 70s? You couldn't drive over 55. Now how fast can you drive? Whoa, the Muskogee Turnpike blows me away. I'm just kind of frustrated because they don't have the same speed on the whole thing. They change it, and it's not easy to tell, figure out what it is. It, but the speed limit's arbitrary, isn't it? They can make it this. They have reasons for doing it, but it's arbitrary. Sin is not arbitrary. In Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know that there's an Old Testament verse equivalent to Romans chapter 6, verse 23? There's an Old Testament equivalent. You're like... Really? Yeah. It's in Proverbs. It says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. I took algebra in the ninth grade, and if A equals C and B equals C, then A and B are what? Equal. If sin's wages is death, and if the way that seems right to a man leads to death, then sin and the way that seems right to a man are what? Same thing. Isaiah said it a little bit differently, though. Isaiah said it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. How? We've each turned to whose way? Our own way. And the Lord laid that iniquity of us all upon him. You see, there's this disconnect between our understanding of God and our understanding of sin. Because people say, well, God loved us so much he gave a son. No, no, no. God loved us so much he created us. Knowing that he would give a son. Have you ever thought about that? God loved us so much. He created us knowing that he would give a son. The scripture says before the foundation of the world, the lamb of God was slain. We were created. Actually, the creative work of God, creating humanity, was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice. The Father, God in creation, sacrificed himself to create us. He sent his Son who came to be a sacrifice for us. And so the, the thing about it is our examples, in Jesus especially, is that he lived to be that sacrifice. You submit everything to God, then you become God's purpose. The problem is we don't really understand heaven. We don't understand the kingdom. And we think, well, wait a minute. I'm going to listen to the truths of Scripture, and I'm going to make them agree with my thinking that I've always had. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't work. 
I tell you what, any time that a servant comes into the world, especially a sinless servant, there's going to be sacrifice. Because this world is not a place of sacrifice. We're celebrating our independence. And, and, and Zach, you mentioned the people who, who, who served our country. They, they served, some of them by compulsion because they didn't have a choice. Some of them volunteered and served our country. And we call it the greatest, the ultimate sacrifice is laying down their life in service to our country. My friends, Jesus lived in a world where he would never die. His existence was he would never give up his life, but he came into our world to become what? A sacrifice. Because that's the culture of heaven. That is the culture of the kingdom of God. The world, uh, here's the thing, everybody looks for examples. Everybody looks for examples, and everybody's looking for truth. And they're thinking, you know, and the world grabs on to pieces of God's truth. It's like a few years ago, there were all these demonstrations because people want justice. But nothing they did would bring justice, and nothing they did was justice. Isn't that right? All they did was steal, kill, and destroy. Because they weren't serving a God of justice who is perfectly just, who is perfectly righteous. They were trying to do it based on the expert activity and mindset of sinful people. And all we do is destroy things. That, that's all we do. And, and so heaven and the kingdom is different. And Paul's bringing us to this point, And he's saying, listen, the righteousness of God is the value in everything because it is truly the life. In a world that wants justice, I know someone who's just. In a world that wants compassion, I know someone who is compassionate. In a world that wants, I mean, our culture, and, and all cultures move this way. And, and this is not a political sermon at all. But they all want socialism because they think it's going to be fair for everybody. But in a sinful world where everybody's out for number one to get what they want, guess what? There's never going to be equity. There's never going to be equity. But in a kingdom where there is no sin, where no one is out for number one, what is that like? That's, that's why you can't say that's going to be here because sin is not going to be eradicated until Jesus comes back and takes care of it. But it's there, it's always going to be that way. And, and that's why, and, and we talk about it. I mean, by this shall all men know you're my disciples because you love one another. Because in what other venue in this world is love a guiding force in every relationship? Jesus said it so much that in John chapter 17, listen to what he said. Father, as you are in me and I am in you, as we are one, make them one. Because where do you go where everybody's one? Everybody's on the same page. Everybody, everybody can get along, everybody lives in harmony and peace, and everybody takes care of each other. Hey, you don't even find that in family, do you? No. But Jesus is our example because he came from the place that life originates. He came from the place to show us that. And so Paul's saying, listen, as, as, as you submit yourself to God, we follow our example because you are to be that living and holy sacrifice in this world. You are to be that one who lives out this. And, and it's interesting. It's like, well, why did he say sacrifice? Because uh, growing up and talking about turning to God, we always talk about what we give up. You have to, you have to give things up. 
you, you have to turn away from sin. You have to turn away, and, and, and uh, people look at the world, and they say, well, but that's such freedom. You can choose whatever you want. You can enjoy this life. You can do whatever. And, and they say, well, when I turned to Christ, I gave all that. I sacrificed that. That's not the sacrifice. You know what that's like? Saying, when I, when I turned away from my sinful, broken life and turned to Christ, I made a sacrifice. Saying that is like telling a prisoner, I know what you gave up when you left the prison. I know it was such a great life. I know you had all the, I know what you gave up when you came out of prison and got to live in the real world. Or telling a, a, a hungry, starving child from a continent where there's no food saying, I know you ate rice for every meal. I know, and I know when you saw that buffet at Golden Corral, you thought, oh, I can't handle that. That's such a sacrifice. I gave up this for that. That's no sacrifice at all. The bondage of sin, the brokenness of sin, giving that up is not a sacrifice. Actually, it's called freedom. Amen? That's our freedom. And it's like, okay, so what is the sacrifice? So when Paul tells us, when he says, okay, I urge you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice so that you may prove the will of God. It's not even arbitrary. It's not even saying, okay, well, be a good Christian and, and, uh, and, and surrender and, and, and give your stuff, give, you know, support things and, and go on mystery and, 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 you know, make these good choices. It's not even that. What it is, it's when you start living by the truth of the kingdom. When a servant comes into a broken world and tries to live the righteousness of Christ, what do they do to that servant? What did they do the first time? When he humbled himself, did not think equality with God is son to be grasped, and he became a servant and lived in this world, what did they do to him? What did we do to him? We crucified him. We crucified him. That is the sacrifice. When you start living the truth of God, when, you, when your members start becoming instruments of righteousness in this world, and when God starts changing you where you see it from God's perspective and you start living it from God's perspective based on the truth of God's word and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, my friend, you and I are living in a darkness and a brokenness that makes us cry Maranatha. Because we're living in a world where there's no hope and we have the hope and the world rejects that hope every single day. It's called a holy sacrifice because holiness is, um, the dictionary definition is, is distinct from common or profane. Holiness is a difference. Yeah, you want to know my definition of holiness? Are you ready? My, I call my definition the Sesame Street definition. You're thinking, where are, you, where are you going with that? Well, you remember that song? I grew up watching, you know, there were four channels when I was growing up. So we, we watched public broadcasting Sesame Street. And they would put four objects up and they would say, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just isn't the same. There is nothing like God. There's no one righteous like him. There is no one loving like him. The world loves, but God's love is holy. It's not like the world's love. The world has justice, but... God's justice is holy. His righteousness is holy. I've seen 
people who don't know Christ to be faithful in marriage for 60 years. But God's faithfulness, He is holy in His faithfulness. In Isaiah chapter 5, it says that, God, that a holy God is holy in His righteousness. That means His righteousness, you don't find any unrighteousness in it. You don't find any, any corruption or any inconsistency in it. And, and so what He's telling us to do is we live in a world in such a way that this, li- this life that we now live, See, if it wasn't necessary to be a living sacrifice, we could just go to heaven immediately. Trust Christ, go to heaven. The baptistry would be a launching pad, right? Because that's where we confess our faith, and then you're gone. But no, we're to be a living and holy sacrifice. Our lives in this world are to be unlike anything else out there. And our lives in here are to be so different than anything else out there. That's why Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. Because you have what? Love for one another. They don't find it anywhere else. So we are called to be a living and holy sacrifices. The sacrifice is in the living. The sacrifice is in the living. Living heaven's priorities, living the kingdom's priorities in a broken world is a life of sacrifice. It doesn't mean that God won't bless you, and it doesn't mean that God, you know, He can't give you good things, but what it means is everything that I have is for His purpose and His glory and, his, and the good of the kingdom in this world, in people's lives. Transforms the way we say, Father, Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what his kingdom cost on earth is everything. He calls us to that place. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust. Our way, our lust. Do not be conformed to the lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also as in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The joy of being a living and holy sacrifice is the impact it has upon the world. As you seek to live that kind of life on this planet. What do you want? You say, what do you mean, what do I want? What do you want? You say, well, I, I've just learned I shouldn't want anything because I want what the Father wants. Amen. You know, that's how human Jesus was. He said, I want what the Father wants. You know, he was just like us. Who would want to go to a cross? Nobody. But get this, not even Jesus. You say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Not even Jesus. Jesus prayed in that garden. What was his first prayer? Father, if this cup pass from me, he said, that's what I want. I don't want this cup. But he didn't give in to his want. What did he do? But not my will be done, but yours. But see, something happens in sanctification where we become part of what God's doing because we are a living and holy sacrifice, 
And so when I ask you the question, what do you want? I'm not asking it because I'm trying to trip you up. I'm saying, have your priorities changed to the point that what you want is what heaven wants? See, most people, when they, have a sanct- when they have a mindset where they've been sanctified, where their life is transformed, and they start thinking like heaven, they start wi- with what's closest to them. I-, I want every one of my family members to be in glory when I get there. When eternity comes, I don't want them to be anywhere else but with Christ. Is that a bad want? Oh, that's a great one. But we shouldn't stop there. It should be, I want every person in my workplace to be with Christ. I want every person in my children's school. I want every person in my neighborhood. I want every person that, that is in our city. I, I want them to be with Christ. I want everyone to know the abundance that Christ gives, the wholeness that Christ I don't want them to live in the destructiveness of sin anymore. I want them to know what eternal life is and how it can be enjoyed and lived out and what it means to be a living sacrifice. Because there is no greater there's no greater existence than to live as a sacrifice in a world that doesn't want you and to be able to point others to Christ. And so when I ask you what you want, it really gauges how is your transformation coming? How is your heart aligned with God's and how are you living that out every day? Because he's called you to be a living sacrifice because when you're a living sacrifice, you prove what the will of God is. That's what verse two says. I love what the verse one, and I don't, I didn't cover this in depth because it would take me another 30 minutes. But what does it say in verse one at the end? It says this. It says, which is your spiritual service of worship? I love those words because the word spiritual and service comes from one word. And it's actually the word that's, that comes into English and it's logical. It comes from the Lord logos, which means word, and it's logikos, and it means, it, it, it means logical. It means rational. It's reasonable. It means when you know the grace of God, and you are going to be a living sacrifice. You're going to be a holy sacrifice because you know the mercies of God. It is a rational, reasonable, logical response. He, they use it in a spiritual sense a couple of times, but it's not used that many times. It's used more about service. It's used more about what is needed and how you do it. The last word uh, for worship, it, it comes out, it, it, it has to do with the essence of why we live what we live. I love it. It's so consistent with John chapter 4 that God is spirit and those who worship him, worship him in what? In spirit and truth. That we can worship him singing, we can worship him reading, we can worship him serving others, we can worship him sharing the gospel. Every act as a sacrifice, is worshiping Him. Isn't that something? Because I'm the temple. You're the temple. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And everything we do as a living sacrifice is changing the world that we live in. And so be a living sacrifice. Be a seed that falls into the earth and dies. No longer lives for yourself, but lives for the kingdom. Lives for the truth. Lives for Christ. Lives in the Spirit. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's called us to. I challenge you to follow that, to trust him, to live it out every day.
Father, we come to you this morning and we're so grateful for this time. The truth of your word is so foreign to us in living. Many of you, it's not for, many of us, it's not foreign to us in the fact that we've read it for many, many years. But living your word out in this world is challenging to us because it goes against the very nature that we were born into. And as we've repented of sin and we've repented of that life, and we've believed in what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we've believed in what, Lord, the life is now. It's easy for us to key in on the fact that we're to have abundant life, we're to have a full life. It's, it's to be a life of joy and hope and all those things. But, Lord, living in this world, everything else is against that. It's against the message. It's against the priorities. We need you to help us, Lord. As we get into your word and we read it, help us to read it enough. Help us to sow your word into our hearts enough daily that you transform our thinking. That now we think differently and we live differently and we're led by your spirit because we depend upon your word. We depend upon your leadership and what you desire for us. So that when we do go out into a world, we don't live our design, we don't live our desires, we don't live our plans, but we turn to the will of the Father. He desires all men to be saved. He loves this world so much that He sent His only Son. And that now that Jesus came and lived and died for us, and He gave us an example to follow, Lord, that we live that example. Just as Paul said, I follow the example of Christ, imitate me. Lord, now we want to follow the, image of, we want to follow the example of Christ. And be living holy sacrifices like he is. And, oh, Lord, that we're not, we can't forgive sin and we can't provide for the forgiveness of sin, but we can point people to the one who has. And while we live in opposition to everything our flesh cries out for, help us to live in submission, in surrender, in obedience to what you call us to. And may the living and holy sacrifice that we endeavor every day to be, be a pleasing aroma to you. That's our desire, Lord. Help us to look to you, to look to Christ, to live by the leadership of your Holy Spirit based on the truth of your word. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.